Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Hey, we're excited. We're continuing our series uh, in the beginning, but uh, before I get into that, I just wanted to speak briefly on where we are heading as a church, uh, the importance of it, the heart behind it, um, and the reality that God is up to something very special here in North Vancouver or the North Shore of Vancouver. Um, and, and at the end of the day, uh, if you've never encountered me before as a leader, maybe this is your first time here at church or Avant Life Church, um, you know, I apologize now because it might come across that I'm a bit abrasive or blunt, uh, but that's not my heart to offend you. The reality is, however, we live in urgent times, um, and I just don't subscribe to having to tickle people's ears before telling them the truth. Um, and if, if that's hard for you to understand, um, sorry. But this is the reality. I don't know if you focus on this at all during your weird, your, your weird week, your midweek. Maybe it's weird. Your midweek is that if I go downtown or if I walk through the streets or I encounter people at different areas of my community, I realize how much pain and hurt that, that exists here on the North Shore. How many questions go unanswered? How many people remain in bondage, maybe because of their own decisions in life or maybe because other people's decisions had led them there? Nonetheless, they all are asking the same questions, and that's simply this. Hey, okay, I, I want to know, is there a God? We're all going to ask that question one time. Is there a God? And if we get to the conclusion, well, I think there is a divine being here. Who is he or who is she? And hopefully, you know, people get to that 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 moment in life where they're like, okay, I think there's something to this Jesus, to this Messiah, to this salvation that Christianity, uh, Christianity and Christians over decades, centuries, and millennia have been proclaiming. Well, if he is real, who am I to him? Which is the most important question. And my excitement is, is that before Jesus left this earth, he said two things that made like, complete sense to me now, but at the time of searching, they can sometimes be confusing. He says, i got to go so another can come. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's job is, or his main office, would be to speak of the redemptive work of Christ, to testify of the redemptive work of Christ in your life, in our community, in our nation, in the world as a whole. And so for, for those of you who believe in Jesus, who are a follower of Jesus, you need to first uh, come to understandings or understanding the reality that there is a Holy Spirit present and he's leading and guiding you. Amen. That you can't go through your day and be a, an effective Christian, an effective witness not a lawyer, an effective witness for Jesus. I'm not going to make lawyer jokes. My mum's a lawyer, but last time I nearly got in trouble. So effective witness. <laughs> There's plenty of pastor jokes too. We should make this. An effective witness for Jesus. The Bible says that you have to, you have to pursue the Holy Spirit in your life. You have to give him that position in your life that one, identifies that he's present, but two, that he's sovereign. And the second thing Jesus left us with was that concept of community, of coming together and what he calls the church. The brethren, the saints, the followers, the disciples, those who believe the same thing. The church. Now, church is, in English is derived from a, a German word for temple. I think it's Kirch, something like that. Someone's German here. What is it? Oh, yep, it's fine. It's my accent. Should have studied that more. <laughs> but initially, 
we talked about the ecclesia, which was the, the, the citizens of heaven. The Greek, the coming together with responsibility. And so I say all of this because we're heading down that road of, wait a minute, look around. Church is pretty much uh, about 70% full, heading towards 80% full. Um, and and there's, at some point in our life, we've got to start going, what are we doing to create space for faith? See, the reality is if we allow this to happen and we fill up this room and we all get hot and sweaty, no matter how much the air cons are blasting, at some point, we lose focus of why the church was instituted and we drown out the voice of the Holy Spirit that is crying out, I've come so that Jesus would be known in this world and that his redemptive power would see things that we thought were impossible to change, shift, move towards life and away from death. And as a church, we simply go to dual service, not because I'm like, well, it's practical and we need to fill. We could always jam more seats in here and do an overflow. But we need to position ourselves, posture ourselves with the reality that there's always created space for faith. And so this morning, if you're with us and you're like, well, I'm not sure what I'm doing and I'm, I'm not sure, I'm, I'm going to encourage you bluntly. Hey, God has called you here. He has positioned you here. We're going to speak about a few things today. I, I had the great privilege of picking up where Emma left off in the beginning stories. She took the Sabbath, uh, which you can read about in the first few chapters, and then, and then straight after the fall of humanity, we enter into Cain and Abel, which we'll be talking about today. Um, and I was like, oh, I, I got the conversation about sex a few weeks ago, and now I get to talk about Cain and Abel. It's like, did I do something wrong? <laughs> but for those of you, you're like, oh, you know what, I just want to float in and out. Can I tell you right now, that is the most ungodly thing you can do. God's not looking for floaters. He's looking for those who would commit, those who would put their hand up and say, this is my storehouse, this is my church, this is my local positioning where God has placed me, and I have a calling here to help reach the nation community I'm a part of. He is not looking for bystanders. He's not looking for pretenders. He's looking for real contenders. His Bible says, his word says, I'm searching, I'm seeking those who understand truth and spirit. Can I tell you this? It is anti-God spirit not to commit and be a contributor to the kingdom. And number two, the truth is this. And we always say, well, the truth will set us free. Actually, the scripture says, if you abide in my word and you spend time with me, in that revelation process, you will find my truth. And in that truth, you will be set free. This morning, can I encourage you, if, you haven't, if you've been coming here, but you haven't started to contribute, maybe coming for a while, today's your day. Today's your day because God is on the move and my heart for you is don't miss out on what he wants to do in and through you in this season. Heaven is opening up. The fibers are getting torn open. That transcending nature that happens between God and his church is taking place here on the North Shore. And you'll look back in years to come and say, I could have been something. I could have been a part of something. I could have seen miracles. I could have seen signs and wonders. I could have seen revival. But because I was a a sheer floater, I couldn't commit. I missed out. And I know it's like, well, there's grace. And wait, grace saves you from the curse. doesn't save you from the consequence. That's the reality. Is that too blunt? Come on, we're Pacific Northwest. We can take it, right? That's who we are. We're not bred real soft. We're bred hard. We've got to deal with nine months of winter and rain, which summer has fallen. Olympus has fallen, guys. I mean, there's no Gerald Butler, whatever his name is, to save us. The rains are here for a week. I saw the forecast. The forecast. I was like, I'm so sad right now. 
So sad. All right, guys, you ready to hear about Cain and Abel? You ready to start in the beginning? We're going to pick up the story. You can read along with me. I've got the slides as well. Genesis 4. It is a bit of a, it's not a long story, just hard to fit on the screen. But here we go. I'm going to do my best to get through this scripture verse as quick as possible. But we pick up the story uh, straight after Adam and Eve have been told the world is now cursed. Humanity has fallen. Uh, and there is the consequence of sin that is now rotting away the core of humanity. And the first story off the mark, off the blocks, is this story about two brothers called Cain and Abel. So let's read. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Not that he didn't know, he's just asking rhetorical questions. Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, Sin lies at your door, and it desires, its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, good point, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Who's read that story before? Who's familiar with that story? Who's unfamiliar with this story? It's fine. It's not like it's, you know... It's not like you go, oh, I've met Jesus, I'm going to go read Cain and Abel. (laughs) It's not how we direct you. (laughs) Oh, you know Jesus? Check out Cain. (laughs) Today I want to break down just this scripture verse initially so we can go through some key points. It's going to be confronting. Some of you are not going to like it. Some of you are going to be like, not this again. But can I ask you, open your mind, open your heart. You know what? We can't compartmentalize God. So if you've accepted his love, you've got to accept his word. Why? Because you can't accept his love without knowing his word. You're like, well, I've never read his word. Well, that's the good thing about God's word. It knows you. And it's been written, and it's alive, and it permeates through his presence. And this morning, if you, if you attempt to compartmentalize him in your life, you're going to struggle. Even when we talk about certain concepts this morning, you might not like it, but allow God's word to offend you for a bit so that he can change you for forever. That's just how it is. Let's take a look at the first part that I want to look at. I want to talk about this because uh, something happens, right? We, we have Adam and Eve, and they, 
they fall and, and humanity begins life under the curse of sin. And they're expelled from the garden. The Bible says that this cherubim guards it with a flaming sword. It's, it's quite a great picture. Just tells me don't go back there. Um, but the Bible says this in chapter 4. We read it here. You can see it in verse 3. It says, and in the process of time, it came to pass. Process of time. The reason I want to focus on this real quickly is that we often read the Bible and don't realize how much time has actually elapsed between stories. It's not like chapter four, 3 ends and chapter 4 is the next day. It's a process of time. And, and the, the realities of this is we don't know fully what conversations have taken place between uh, Adam and Eve and God and now their offspring, Cain and Abel. What we do know that in the process of time, certain things have been established and one of the most important things that have been established is that they are now bringing offerings before God. Why? Because the curse of sin requires us now to bring an offering to remain in some form of relationship with Him. And so this is what they're doing. And, and we need to understand that the first thing after Sabbath was offering. Ever thought about that? That He teaches us the Sabbath in the, in the, in the creation story and then straight after creation and the fall... The first lesson he teaches us is how to give back to him. And so obviously Cain and Abel, they've had these conversations with God. They've been directed with God. And they bring, the Bible says they bring what they have. See, Cain brought offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat. The Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Bible says that Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Very angry and his countenance fell. I've heard lots of people say, well, it's because, you know, uh, Abel brought uh, a blood offering because he brought the first of his flock and Cain brought a, 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 a cereal, grain and fruit offering and it's not as acceptable. So it's not Cain's fault. Incorrect. Anyone who thought that, you're incorrect. You're not wrong, you're incorrect. The reason I say that is because most of uh, Israel's offerings to God for the course of their time as a nation under him were mostly cereal, grain, and fruit. So this is not an unacceptable offering. The difference here is in the word first. Abel brought the best. He brought the first of his flock. And, and if you read into it, he brought the most fattened. He brought the best offering he could bring. He didn't bring... Uh, well, let's wait a bit and find out which one's the runty lamb, the one no one wants. Let's bring that. They didn't bring that. He found the best straight away, and he brought it. Cain, on the other hand, and we don't go into too much detail, he determined what he wanted to bring. That's the difference. He's like, I'm going to pick whatever I can find, and I'll determine what's acceptable before God, not allowing God and following what he had told me in the process of time to do. This is the difference here. And I don't know, have you spoken to God lately and asked him, God, what are you calling me to do? And then are you responding in what you then determine you should do? Are you asking him in one compartment of your life for advice, just like you go to a lawyer or a doctor or somebody like a counselor and get great advice and then walk away and go, hmm, now I know what God thinks. It's going to help me determine what I now think and I'll choose according to my wisdom. This is what Cain is, is getting himself into. He knows he's meant to bring the best before God. 
He knows that it's up to him to actually be honest in that. And he doesn't. And the Bible says that God judges him for it. He says, this is unacceptable. And Cain gets very angry and his countenance falls. In other translation, it's he's downcast. And you think, oh, sometimes when we read that through the 21st century lens, you know, and we talk about all this the time, the millennial generation, we get awards for anything. Oh, you caught the bus this morning to work. You get a badge. Good job. Oh, you didn't pay? Classic. Wow, the ferry ride. Do you know what I mean? Like, we celebrate every little thing that we should just think is normal in life and just do that. And, and, and we read this scripture and we're like, well, at least he brought something, God. How could you, why would you, look, now he's upset, he's very angry. And he's down, his face is, look, God, you made him sad. How can you make Cain sad, God? Aren't you the God of grace and love? You made him sad. We think this. Right? And, and, and we, we put these incorrect perspectives on the Word of God, but that's not what God's saying here. Actually, He's saying Cain is very upset because God didn't allow Cain to determine what Cain wanted to determine. Yeah. Cain's not like, oh, I'm such a down, I'm just down, I'm a terrible person. I didn't honor God. Cain is like, how dare God tell me what's good and what's not good? Did he work the land for this? No, I did. I'll bring to him what I want to bring to him. Oh, my Lord. Imagine if we spoke to God like that. I love Cain's response, uh, God's response to Cain. Why are you angry? Why would you be angry? Why is your countenance fallen? Why are you downcast? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And it desires you. Think about that. This is not a hard concept. It is hard in these days uh, what we live in. But he says, if you do well, you'll go well. You'll get accepted. If you do bad, why do you think you deserve the reward of someone who's done good? Oh, because it's equality. We've all tried our best. And God's like, no, that's not true. He's saying, actually, you work hard, you do well, you follow my principles, and there is a reward of blessing and health. That's a principle he put in place when he created the earth. He says, if you do not do well and you get upset about it, sin is lying at your door and it desires you. But I love the next part. He says, but you should rule over it. How do we rule over it? God gives us our first glimpse into authority in him. He says, if you're generous to me, if you come back to me, if you make sure the relationship is through an acceptable offering, which I love today because our acceptable offering is Christ. He says, then I can bestow upon you authority to rule over sin. Cain does not like this. Cain does not want to budge. And sometimes I read this and I'm like, man, Cain is one hard dude. But really, I thought about it. I'm like, we do this with God all the time. It might not be with the offering we're bringing him into his storehouse, but we definitely do it with different parts of our life. No, God, I want to be able to do this lifestyle choice. Well, you do that, it's against my principles. You won't get the authority and power you're looking for. Well, God, that's unfair. Aren't you the God of grace and love? Well, I am. And I'm telling you, you do what is healthy, you get healthy outcomes. You do what is unhealthy, you get unhealthy outcomes. This is what he tells Cain. Sin lies at your door. What imagery? 
I love that. I know it sounds bad, but I love that concept. Sin lies at the door. It's not knocking on your door. It's not yelling through your door. It's just waiting for you. Patiently. Because it knows if you remain where you are, at some point you've got to leave. At some point you've got to interact with the sin that's in your life. And hopefully you won't rule over it. But God's saying, hey, if you can step it up, if you can come to me, if you can say it's not about you, but it's about God, he then empowers you to step over sin that lies at your door, not trip over sin that lies at your door. This is what I love. You know, he then says, he says this all to Cain, and then Cain goes out into the field with his brother Abel. They're having a good old brotherly love session. And then he just kills Abel. You got siblings, right? Ever been in that moment where you're like, I just kill you right now? And you, oh, you wore, you wore my shirt without permission. Great. Just come over here. It's just over here. Boom. That's my shirt. So Cain kills Abel. I shouldn't make a joke of that. It's pretty horrific. God comes to Cain. The Lord says, where is Abel, your brother? Funny that he asked the same question to Adam and Eve. Where are you? This question is not God not knowing the answer. This is the question God gives Cain and Abel, or sorry, just Cain, gives Cain the opportunity to identify what he has done, to orientate himself, to emit guilt, and come before the Lord for grace. That's what this question is. It's not rhetorical, like, where's your brother? It's like, where are you, Cain, in all of this? Where's your heart at right now? I've seen what you've done. This is what Cain says. I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? So God asks Cain, where are you at with this? And Cain does something amazing. He defies the institution of family. He says, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. You're the older brother, Cain. It was your job to look after Abel. You are his keeper. Where is he? Abel is dead. Cain knows this. Cain knows that he has now violated the first person in history to violate the institute of family and the brotherly bonds. But he still has too much pride and arrogance to admit it. Even in the presence of God, God says this, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. What have you done? Your brother's blood cries out. Can I tell you right now, if you were to study this, Abel's blood does not cry out, have grace on him, Lord. Abel's blood is crying out, justice. Give me justice, for I was innocent and I was murdered, and there needs to be justice. See, what I, what I see in this picture right now is sin has convinced Cain to kill Abel, and now it is the blood of his brother that's crying out, Cain needs to be held accountable, and God knows that's the truth. And because he is a just God, he does something. He curses. He curses Cain. We skip forward and he said, Therefore, whoever kills Cain 
Vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone uh, finding him should kill him. So in between these verses we've looked at, God curses Cain. He says, hey, you're going to work the ground and get not much for it. And you're going to wander. You're going to be a vagabond. You're never going to get to settle the way you wanted to settle. Your legacy is dust. That's the curse. And then Cain, with his same prideful attitude, goes, woe is me. You've just given me a death sentence. How is that fair? God of love and grace. And sometimes we read this last verse here and it says, the Lord set a mark on Cain's head that anyone who should find him shouldn't kill him. And we think, oh, God is looking at this story as, Cain, you're such a whinger right now. I'm going to put a mark on your head that even if you wanted to die, you can't die. You are going to suffer. That's how I read it when I first read it. But it's not true. That's not the example God is setting here. What he's actually saying is, you know what? In all your sin, in all your murderous behavior, in all your pride and all your self-determination, I'm going to show you grace. That mark is not a stigma. That mark was this one is protected. People who met Cain wouldn't have known he's cursed by that mark. They would know he's cursed by his hard labor and, and limited fruit, but not by the mark. The mark itself said this one is God's. Interesting, right? See, we can know Jesus, we can have the freedom that says, I am God, but still live a cursed life within our behaviors, work hard as we can, but have limited fruit because we're not being obedient to him. So, hey, you have salvation, good, but your life is going to still dwell amongst a cursed lifestyle. But the graces of God are still on you. It still identifies you as one of his, but you will never have the authority that you've been destined to have in your life if you remain in a cursed mindset. Pretty interesting, right? There's a few firsts that we talked about. I'm going to shoot through these as quick as possible. One, this is the first time an offering in this story has been mentioned being brought to the Lord, both positive and negative. Another first was this was a major fracture in the human condition since the fall in two ways. One, it's the first time we see an act of rebellion towards God. And two, it's the first time we see someone pay their life for it. This is the first murder mentioned, and it's between two brothers. So this is the first time the family bond is broken. This is the first time somebody is individually cursed before the curse is on all humanity. This is the first time someone is individually protected. This story, these limited scriptures that we have, have a lot of firsts in them. And it tells me that in the beginning, before we came and made it even more corrupted, God wanted us to know some really important stuff straight after the fall. One that in the process of time, though it might have been longer than we think, it wasn't that long, humanity had fallen very far. That sin had permeated deep within our condition. And this was it. This is what sin had done to us. It had lied to us. And Cain is a great representation of all of us. It had brought us to the point that we determined that we should be God of our own lives. That self-determination. And I'm not talking about determining choices, simple choices in life. I'm talking about putting ourselves over God in our life. Because that's what Cain ultimately did. Treated God just as a counselor, an advisor, lawyer, a doctor. But did not allow him to be sovereign God, divine God in his life. See, 
Cain is not judged for his offering alone. He's judged because of his countenance, his heart attitude, his issues that he had towards God. Not only was his offering substandard, his heart condition was what was unacceptable. See, if he brought the great heart condition and the fruit just happened to be like that, just not the best fruit because the season wasn't great, his offering would have been accepted because his heart was for the Lord. But what we, what we experience here is Cain's offering is the picture of Cain's heart, a heart that had decided he should determine what he brings. We do this all the time. We come to church or we're in our room or we're in the car listening to worship music and we determine what the conversation is going to be like with God. Well, no, God, you're not allowed in that part of my life. You don't get to determine that. That's I'll determine what conversations we have. And usually when we come before God, we bring the most broken conversations, not the first fruit conversations, the broken conversations. God, I need you right now because this has gone wrong. Oh, I thought my season looked like this, but everything has fallen apart and now I'm lost in all of it. We bring him broken conversations. When he created us to give him our first conversations. Like, God, I've woken up this morning. Would you guide and direct me? What are the plans and purposes on my life this morning? No, we wait till the end of the day and say, God, today sucked. Where were you? Your word says, and start claiming his word which is not a bad response. It's just not the best response. It's not the healthiest response. It should be, God, I should have sought your face this morning. I made a mistake. I'm so sorry. Today was really hard and rough. In my ignorance, Lord, or my blissful rebellion, tomorrow as I start a new day, would your mercy be new for me? Would your grace be new for me? Would I be attentive and disciplined to chase you from the morning to the night? That's a godly response. We constantly want to determine to God. Humans, we struggle with a whole bunch. What I love with this story is God, from the very moment he could, he allowed us to link our heart condition with our finances. Didn't wait for anything. He's like, I know what you're going to struggle with, humanity, for the rest of time. Your finances. This is where it's going to be a struggle for you because... Your heart is just like anyone else's heart on this earth and that it desires that you would live a comfortable life, a life preceded with wealth or material wealth and that it'd be secure. And don't get me wrong, this is actually a heart of God. What he doesn't want is you to worship it over him. What he wants you to do is trust him with it. See, if you were to give your best fruits to God, you're going to trade for less at the marketplace. That's just how it is. Cain knew that. He saved the best for himself, what would benefit himself. Not understanding the principle of giving to God your best, which he gave to you first. And that there is a blessing and increase in that. We want to self-determine, but the word of God says that obedience is better than sacrifice. Self-determination will always lead to an undue sacrifice, which required the ultimate obedient act of Christ to come. And the Bible says in Philippians that he was obedient even unto death. Obedience is the key here. How obedient to God are you with your finances, with the first fruits, 
It sounds weird, and I looked at this. I was like, oh, man, how can I stray this story away from finances? Because ain't nobody want to get up on stage and talk to people about money. But I can't. I can't avoid it. I studied this for hours this week. It's, it's unavoidable. You need to hear it. Obviously, God wants you to hear it. The Holy Spirit wants you to hear it because he wants a blessing for you in your life. And if you currently haven't had a revelation of your finances in the Lord, then today I really believe God wants to give that to you. I did my best. And then I realized if I did not share this with you this morning, I'd be robbing you and I'd be held account for this. Privileges of being a pastor, hey? So there's a few attitudes. Let's talk about these attitudes. Let's get through this quickly. One is this. I've seen plenty of Christians who are generous when they get to determine what generous is. Right? And so, oh, I tithe to God. I give to all these different charities and this, and I choose if it gets put there and there. No. That might be generous, but that's not obedience. Well, I'm going to tell you a story that this takes place in. Uh, and, and the example of what happens when humanity, through our faith, can get corrupt, that we trick ourselves, that we get to determine what God has already determined, we get to change it to best suit what we think best suits us. So even in our generosity towards God, we can be corrupt. We can even be giving our first, but in the wrong way. Look what happens here with the nation of Israel in Exodus 32. This is where they create a calf, a golden calf. So to give you a precursor context to this, uh, Moses has gone up the hill, up the mount. He's going to get some tablets. He's going to get some guidance from God. Not pills. Like. And the rest of Israel is now under the authority of Aaron. The difference between Aaron and Moses. Aaron is a leader that leads through popularity Moses is a leader that leads through godly integrity. The difference. How do I know this? Because popular people will always listen to the crowd, even when it's wrong, so that they can keep their popularity. Integrous people in God will defy the crowd in keeping in relationship with God. You see it all the time, and it happens here. It says this, when the people saw that Moses was delayed coming down the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives, sons and daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that they were uh, in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from in them in their hand and fashioned it into, uh, it, it, sorry, fashioned it with a great a graving tool, made it a golden calf, and said, "These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt." When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, "Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord." And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I have commanded them. They have made themselves a golden calf and worship it and sacrifice to it. And said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen these people, and behold, it is a stick-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. Just to clarify that end 
God is saying, I'm going to wipe out Israel, start again with Moses. Interesting story, right? That while Moses is away getting guidance from the Lord, the Israelites come to Aaron, who can't deal with not being popular, and they say, fashion us a God, make us a God that we could worship. This is a crazy mindset for me, that God had done this miracle of salvation in the Exodus story, and in a moment of time, they so quickly turn their backs to him and say, fashion us. Do you know where they got those golden rings from? They were slaves. Where did they get them from? This is where they got them from. Because of the goodness of God, when they left Egypt, the Bible says the Egyptians wanted them out so badly, they gave them jewelry. They gave them the gold. That gold was the inheritance of God's goodness in their life. And instead of worshiping him, they fashioned what was something gifted to him or them by God, and they made a calf to worship. This is the problem. We call on God. We want him to answer our prayers, to save us, to bless us, to meet our needs, to increase, to favor and anoint us. But then when we have met that and God has done that and we're living in it, we then take the benefits of it, fashion a God and worship that instead. If you don't tithe, if you don't give to God, and if you're determining that yourself this morning, the reality is this. You're taking what he has given you through the season of blessing and provision and providing and protecting, and you're beginning to fashion something that is self-determined, not word-determined. Simply that. You're like, Pastor Ben, I don't believe in that. That's your prerogative. But the Bible says, time will tell who is right. We do it. We take, and we make, and we create, Constantly do this, and this is why God says, remain in my word so that you won't drift from me. We do it. There's, there is faith creep. We go the wrong way. And we begin to create things that we can worship. What I find so amazing is that they're so generous. They're just so generous. Like They're giving what their inheritance in a season of blessing to make a collective cow. They're just so so generous towards things, these people of God. Just the wrong things. They gave their best for what? The worst? So they could, they understood because the Bible says they even kept giving offerings to this dead thing. It's not a living God. It's a statue that was fashioned by man's hands. We weren't created to worship anything made by man. Yet somehow as Christians, we constantly find ourselves throwing ourselves at this, and Cain has suffered from this, and we have suffered from this at times. Self-determination this morning, can I encourage you? God wants to set you free from the burden of thinking you're in charge. It's a burden. I want you to think about it. Do you actually know what tomorrow holds? You're in charge. You should know. What does tomorrow hold for you? Anyone here 100% sure know what tomorrow holds for them? If you are, I want to know how. But the reality is we don't know. Humans don't have the ability to see in the future. But I love it because I serve the God of yesterday, I serve the God of today, and I serve the God of tomorrow. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He spans the beginning and the end. He has seen every day in fruition. He knows what tomorrow holds for you. Why would you carry the burden of self-determination when you could submit to his determination, which Jeremiah says is plans of good, plans to prosper you? The only problem is, is that we don't understand what prosper and good looks like. 
We understand what comfortable and easy looks like, and we make the stupid mistake of associating the two with prosper and good. But God never said that those two come together. Actually, he says, Jesus says, actually, you're going to struggle in my name. You're going to feel the persecution, and you're going to be blamed. You're going to be ridiculed for me, in me, for me. But at the same hand, he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you authority. Wait, how does that work? I thought I meant to be the coolest guy around. God's not looking for popular leaders. He's looking for principled leaders. Cain didn't get it. Aaron didn't get it. But Jesus says this. Matthew 23, 23 says, Yes, you should tithe. And you shouldn't leave the more important things undone either. Snap. Tithing is the least important thing. <laughs> but you should do it. I think about that. He says you should tithe, but don't leave the more important things unattended. This is interesting. Tithing in Jesus' mind should be the easiest thing for us to do. He says, yeah, get it done. But don't tithe and think you can't then go out and preach the gospel. You can't go out and meet the needs of your community. You can't love on your neighbor. He says, don't, they're actually more important things, but your baseline should be you're giving to me. Duh, I spoke about it for 3,000 years of this book. Makes sense to him. It's interesting because 400 years before Jesus arrives, and this is the message, uh, this is the book in which a lot of preachers speak on in regards to tithing and ask the worship team to come. And it's in Malachi 3, 8 to 10. If you've been in church long enough, you probably would have heard someone jump up on stage and tell you this just before a tithing, uh, 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 the tithe went around. But I'm going to read it to you and give you some context to it. First of all, Malachi is talking about the coming Messiah when he, when he writes what I'm about to read. And it's 400 years before Jesus arrives, but his conversation is about the Messiah, the coming Messiah. And he says, do not rob from God. Will a man rob from God? Yet you have robbed from me. But you say, in what way have I robbed you? In tithes and offering. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all your tithes into the storehouse, that they may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing, that there will be not, a, uh, there will be not be room, sorry, enough to receive it. What Cain didn't understand, and what we struggle with today, all these millennia later, is the the the, the interaction between what God asked of Cain and what He's asking of us today, is an interaction that allows Him the space to prove He exists and that He wants to bless us. That's all Malachi is saying here. He's saying, I want you to understand that the God of the heavens and earth is asking for this interaction, this exchange, because in it, he gets to prove his existence. How? By blessing you. By blessing you. See, the people of the world will never understand why we give to God. And he says the storehouse. And you're like, well, storehouses don't exist anymore. I'm going to be really honest with you. When you read the Bible, a lot of that stuff doesn't exist anymore. Because the way the word is written is that we get to contextualize it into a modern context. So when they might have ridden a horse or a carton horse, we now have a car and a truck. Easy, right? We wouldn't struggle with that. But then when it comes to our money, 
Same issue Cain had, oh, the storehouse doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, it does. He says, my house. That's what God says, my house. 400 years later, Jesus comes. Jesus says, you should tithe. Furthermore, he says, I'm creating new storehouses. And it's called my church, and they're going to spread over the globe. That you should contribute your tithe and your offering to where your storehouse is, where you call community, where you call home, because this is the power of the church. These are his new storehouses. Cain never understood it. And Abel's blood cried out for justice. And Jesus says we should tithe. When the early church was born, the Bible says that they had a commonality, they had one mindset, and they gave freely for the growth of the kingdom. Not what they decided, but what God had decided. They brought it to the apostles, the leaders of the church at the time, and the apostles put it to work that no one would be in need. You can read it. This is the birth of the early church. Some of them weren't even looking at a tithe anymore, which just means 10%. Some of them sold lots of land and whatever they made, they gave. Because when Jesus turned up in their life, it no longer became law, it became relationship. Their tithe back to him no longer came, I have to, but I want to. It no longer was a curse, but a grace, because where Abel's blood cried out for justice, Jesus' blood cries out for grace. And this morning I tell you, he asks you to give, not because justice is crying out, because grace is crying out right now. And he says, you don't have to give because there's grace for that. But if you would allow me to impart my vision into your life and prove to you that I exist, if you allow me to have control and, and sovereignty over your heart, see what I can do. And he begins to echo Malachi in the early church as the finances pour in and the church is never the same again. It explodes across the known world. And you're like, well, it only went to Europe. Incorrect. Thomas went down to India. You look at the Chinese Mandarin characters for righteousness, and it is a lamb character above a man character. The gospel got to China way earlier than we ever knew that it even defined their written language. Think about that. Why? Because somebody somewhere followed the heart of Abel and rejected the heart of Cain and said, you can have all of me, God. This morning, would you stand with me? There's a story that takes place here and I hope this story means something to you. And you find it in the Gospel of Luke, but Jesus is hanging out at the temple with his disciples just like he's hanging out with us now. And he makes this observation while everything's going on. He sees this woman, the Bible describes her as a widow, which means that she would have not had much finances. And Jesus watches her walk across and put all that she has in the temple offering. And he stops the conversation. He's like, look at her. Look at all these rich guys who give out of wealth, out of surplus, but she gives out of lack. And this is what I think to myself. Jesus, who was present when Abel died, would have looked at that woman and gone, I've seen that heart before. That's the heart of my Abel. Still alive. Thousands of years later, still breathing. I'm so impressed with her. This morning, I want to ask you, if Jesus was to look at your heart, would he see Abel or would he see Cain? 
And for those of you who call Avant Life Church home, we're going into a season of growth. And the reason I do believe that, you know, Emma picked in the beginning, I didn't even know what the series was until I spoke to her a few weeks ago and I realized, oh, God wants to talk about this. If you call Avant Life home, you need to know this. We are a church of Abel's. We are not a church of Cain. We will never be a church of Cain. We will be a church that understands we bring our best, we bring our obedience, we bring the principles of God, and we plant those seeds because we know the Bible says that if we plant in those waters, we will bear fruit in every season. So if you call Avant Life Church home before we launch into our dual service, before it becomes even harder to, to communicate the culture of this church, I'm giving you the responsibility and the authority right now. You are carriers of our culture. You are the carriers of Abel's heart. Step up to that. You're like, Pastor Ben, it's cool, I get it. Do you get it? If you got it, you wouldn't look around and say, oh, this church has got it all together, doesn't need my obedience. You would look in your own heart and go, do I have it all together? Do I need my obedience? I'm going to give you a statistic just so you know. I wouldn't have to search this up through our bookkeeper just so we, I could actually give you this information. I asked how many people from our church tithe regularly? Church of over 180 people that call it home. How many people have the heart of Abel? 30%. Told you it would be real this morning. This is my heart. I'd love a church of 100%. But right now, I want you to think, if I call Avant Life Church home, have I been Abel or have I been Cain? And this is, the, this is the amazing grace of God. I will never know because he's marked you with grace. Only you will know. Only you can see. Only you can tell. Only you can live in that. What I do know collectively is I can see a move of the spirit in that mindset so we let go of Cain and hold on to Abel. Just in sheer percentages. My heart for us as a church that we'd understand that God did not grow this church to what it is in 11 months so that we would stay stagnant and lose momentum, but that we could start building churches, we could start building schools in impoverished nations, we can start sponsoring things that are just unbelievable so that right across this globe, just like Second Peter says, we would make his name known with our heart of Abel. We are able to do this. Church, we're going to worship this morning. We're going to end it like this. And I'm sorry that it took a bit more time, but that's just hard. It's a hard conversation to get done in 25 minutes, right? You forgive me? As we worship, as we stand in the presence of God, I ask you, allow God to say, Cain, or able to your heart. And once you've got your answer, if it is Cain, say, God, I let go of Cain and I hold on to you. I hold on to Abel. The heart of generosity, the heart of obedience, the heart that was in love with you so you gave freely. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avon Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.